Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, uh, Pastor Dad, he finished off our uh, month of prayer and fasting last week with a dynamite message. I really love the, uh, the messages that he gave us. And uh, did you guys enjoy his time here? Wasn't it good? We'll get him to come back. <laughs> yeah. He says this is home base for him. So I continue to ask him, so when are we getting you up next? <laughs> and uh, he can continue to speak into this church. He has a lot of wisdom uh, and, and a, life, a lifestyle to share with us. A life of living for God, and I love that. So two weeks ago, he showed us how God is active through global disasters. I thought that was a really timely message, uh, considering everything that we've gone through. And isn't it true that, you know, sometimes we get uncomfortable with the idea that God could be involved in a global disaster, and yet the converse is far more terrifying. To think that he's not powerful enough to be in control, and that he's losing control of this earth, is far more terrifying to me. Because if he's losing control of this earth, what else is he losing control of? Is he going to lose control of me? Because I already feel if salvation depends on me, I'm doomed. I don't know. Does anyone else feel like that? I try to do right, and no matter how hard I try to do right, I find selfishness inside, and I end up falling into sin. That's me. Now you know. That's your pastor. (laughs) So anyways, I'm glad that God is strong enough to hold everything together. And that he is powerful enough to be able to use all things for the glory of his name. And I think that's wonderful. All right. But last week he, he started talking to us about deception and really exhorted us through Hebrews 5, uh, 12 to 14, and then also 6, 1 to 2. And I thought that was really, really good. We've been, he commented, we've been memorizing that. But I loved how he focused on deception and the devil's strategy to deceive us in the areas of truth. And he focused on four kind of doctrinal areas where the enemy tries to deceive us. And it was interesting talking to him before the message, he had lamented that, you know, he only had one service. He's like, I only have one left and he's leaving. I'm like, well, you can cancel your travel plans. I don't mind. Come up a second time. I don't care. Uh, He said he couldn't do that. He's preaching uh, this weekend in Pastor Steve, who was here last week in uh, his church. But anyways, um, when he shared what he was going to be preaching on, I thought, oh, that's perfect because I can just springboard off of that and that's what I plan on doing. Uh, In fact, when we go back to the Understand Your Enemy uh, message series that we did last year in October and November there, my original plan had actually been to start with deception. Right? The father of all lies, uh, John 44 or 844, and to talk about deception, how the enemy's plan is to to deceive us. And then we started talking about, uh, I'll give you a little recap, but we talked about the soil. So he plants seed in particular soils, and we got stuck on on his preferred soil, which is wounds and hurts. Right? And we spent a whole, you know, two months focusing on being a church that is unoffendable. And so now I'll just kind of come back to that using Pastor Ray's message as a springboard, and we're going to talk more about deception today. Now, if you'll just remember some of the things that Pastor Ray said last week um, to, for us to do, he said, read and memorize scripture. Do you remember that? To protect us from false teachings. Um, have a true heart. Learn and obey biblical doctrines. Um, welcome, you know, welcome meaty sermons, be discipled in the way, take notes during sermon time, and that kind of stuff. And so I'll, I'll give a, if we have time, I'll give some more things that you can add to that list. <laughs> we don't want to overwhelm you, but at the same time, just to clarify and help kind of apply some of those things. And uh, then we're also going to look further at the enemy's plan to deceive. All right. First one, deceived. Who, me? You know, I I took that uh, title from a book that I read many years ago that really impacted me. Uh, It's never left me, and it was by Craig Hill. And so now I haven't read it in many years, so I (laughs) I don't know if I should say everything in there was awesome. But at the time I read it, it was exactly what I needed to hear. And in there, he talked lots about the nature of deception and obviously that you don't realize you're deceived. And so most people don't even realize it. And there, you know, I learned some really good um, uh, tools from in there, but that's not what I'm going to get at because I just loved to steal his title because I thought it, it kind of grabs us a little bit because I think many of us, well, maybe it's a deception in and of itself, but many of us believe that we're not open to deception. Other people might be, But we aren't open to deception because we know truth. So we know the truth. I'm not, you know, even things like media. You know, you you tell young people that they should be careful what they watch. Well, that's true for any age, to be honest. But their brains are forming. Be careful what you watch. You're going to be influenced. And what's a common response? No, that doesn't have an effect on me. 
Oh, it doesn't. Media doesn't have an effect on us. Our culture doesn't have an effect on us. Certainly it does. We're, we're shaped. We're, <laughs> we think we're like all intelligent beings when, when in fact in many ways we're just weak and broken and we're, by the time we're actually consciously thinking about something, we've already had everything filtered through a bias. And that bias includes the culture we're raised in. That bias includes our experiences. That bias includes the family that we were raised in. And that bias may include things that you've learned in the Bible and things that you've learned when you study media. And by the way, I don't like to pick on media. It's just when you look at the stats for how much time people are spending in media, it's, it's a common thing for myself. I have to look at that. But we can spend many, 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 many hours there and, and few, 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 few hours here. So anyways, deceive to me. Now, I'm not a hunter. I'm a, or sorry, I'm a hunter. I'm not a fisher. But I'd love to learn uh, if there was time. But uh, I've always desired to fish. But I'm not very good at it. And the reason is, I, I guess there's more to it. You have to have a strategy, I suppose. And I don't know the strategy, but you have to know where to go, which I don't know. Uh, you have to know what you're fishing for, which I mostly don't know. I know a little bit. I mean, I want fish. That's, is that knowing what you're fishing for? I am fishing for fish. So <laughs> I partially know. <laughs> but then apparently, depending on what kind of fish you're looking for, you have to know lures even. Lures? What? So I guess certain lures are better with certain fish. Who knew? And then to top it all off, there's even strategy on how you cast your reel and how you reel things in and how fast it moves. Okay, so very, very complicated. And why is that? Like, why do, you need, why do all those things matter? And they must matter because clearly some people go and catch lots of fish. Other people go and they catch no fish. So clearly it matters. Well, the reason is as unintelligent as fish are, they're smart enough not to just jump into your boat. And they're not very smart, but it takes a low level of intelligence to avoid that. They, they do know that if you went in there and tried to grab them, have you ever tried grabbing a fish? Good luck trying to grab a fish. They do know how to escape and evade human beings. So if we're going to trap a fish into death, we need to understand the strategies and how to do so. And, you know, that's, that's very similar to how the enemy treats us. We often, we err if we have an overconfidence in our ability to not be deceived. Now, at the same time, I will, I will warn, whoa, should we be living in fear? No. We sh we, but we should be living close to our Father. We should. And sometimes understanding danger helps us stay close to the Father. It's like kids. If I was walking with our kids by the cliffs in Tobermory, when they're super young, they didn't really care. As they get older, they start caring more. But in the beginning, they would even let me, maybe I shouldn't say this. They would even let me kind of grab them and dangle them over. Like they would lean way over like this. They would never let me do that now. Why? They understood the, they understood the, the danger, but they also understood that they had to cling tightly to dad, right? So that's why it's good sometimes, though. The, the, the greater the danger, the tighter they would cling to me. And they did cling tight. Anyways, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 to 13 says this. Now, these things happen to them as an example. By the way, to them. Who's he talking about there? You can go and look later. He's talking about the Israelites in the Old Testament. Just going back to one of the things Pastor Ray had said last week, you know, that some are saying that we should forget the Old Testament. We don't need it. That's not what the, the writers of the New Testament thought. They were pointing. They said we need the Old Testament to teach us how to stand firm in the new era and to the end of the age. Anyways, that's what he's saying here. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Interesting words. Ephesians 6, 11 to 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Before I go any further, do we believe that? Sometimes we can say, well, why do we even spend time looking at this? The Bible spends time teaching us about it, that's why. And telling us to be careful, to keep our eyes open, so that we're able to stand firm. So sometimes we get this idea that all I need to do to stand firm is just believe. Cognitively. Well, I believe that God exists. That's all that it takes. You just believe in your head that he exists, and you don't have to worry about any of this stuff. The only problem is that kind of belief isn't found in the Bible. In fact, you'll find the exact opposite there. But that's not what we're getting at here. 
And then he goes on to, whoops, there we go. Almost closed my message, that's okay. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Therefore, because of all of these things that he's listing there, because we're fighting a war against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces, therefore, because those things exist, therefore, put on all the armor. So there's more than just believing. You put on something. You do something. So we're doing. So we put on the armor of God that we can withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So just like with fishing, the devil has learned, and he is very good at it, but he has learned where to go. He has learned what types of lies and what types of lures work with what types of people in different cultures. It may change a little bit from culture to culture, but he learns how to prey upon our emotions, our distorted desires, our wants, the good things and the bad. He has learned to do that. And he's crafty in it because he uses things that are very close to the truth. The enemy seeks to deceive and to keep us from knowing God. This is his ultimate purpose, I would believe. He tries to keep us from knowing God, obeying God, and fulfilling his missions on the earth. I think that's his primary things that he's stealing to killing and destroying for. He doesn't want us to know God. That's a big thing. Isaiah 6, there's always that, after he talks about my favorite passage on who will I send, send me, he goes on to talk about how uh, this deception, their eyes are closed, their ears are closed, and their hearts are hard. And in there it says, their hearts are hard so they don't know to turn to you because if they did, they, he would heal them. I always, that strikes me. So a hard heart can actually lead to failing to go to God to get healing. What hardens a heart if not deception, if not pride? So that's the ultimate goal of the enemy, to steal, kill, and destroy, yes, but to keep us from knowing God, fulfilling his mission on the earth, and obviously from obeying him. You know, when we look at, uh, this is the discipleship target up here, and, and Pastor Ray was kind of talking about this, but that's the, that is our number one thing he's trying to keep us from right there in the middle. That's what I was talking about in the, in the beginning. I didn't even mean to. It was just happening in the worship time. That you can't, you can't buy the kind of relationship that comes through an experience with God, through knowing him. I, I mean, I read about it in here, and you read about it and you're inspired and you want that, but until you've tasted and seen for yourself, it's missing. So the enemy will try to keep you from tasting and seeing for yourself. Because it'll change how you approach all of those other areas. It'll change how you order your life. It'll change all of it. So the enemy comes to deceive us in all of these areas, starting in the beginning, because if he can deceive us there, he can generally get us everywhere else. All right. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. So Jesus does want us to have, our, have abundant life. And I won't, we could do a whole message on that. That doesn't mean you feel good all the time. I've alluded to that before. But he wants us to experience life. It doesn't always feel good, but we have life. There's a hope that begins to form in you that is unshakable. That carries you through even the darkest things that you could, you could experience. Okay, he wants you to have that. John 8, 44, though, and this is coming on the, on the tail end of um, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and he's speaking to the devil, and he says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the most effective lies that he has ever crafted are the ones that are closest to the truth. And I, I know we've said this before, but <laughs> it's somehow it's like we easily forget it, right? Because then I hear things on people that are even dabbling in things that are dangerous for them, and the justification is all the good that is in it. Right? So you can see we struggle with this idea of things being both bad and good at the same time. How do we juggle that? And we won't talk about that yet, other than to say those are the most effective deceptions. So if the enemy comes to you in the morning and says, you are an elephant, how many of you feel condemned by that? Probably not. Because you're like, I am not an elephant. Clearly I'm not. Maybe you do. But do you understand what I mean? It's so far away from the truth, you don't get it. But he says things like, you'll never get anything right. You'll never be good enough. Good enough by what standard? But he uses half-truths, and things that are very close, to tear us down. That's what he wants to do. 
So if lies remain unchallenged with truth, they will begin to influence our behaviors. And left unchecked, these behaviors will turn from footholds into strongholds and be very hard to dismantle. Not impossible, but hard to dismantle. So what we believe, and I'll go on to the next point here, what you believe determines how you behave. You've maybe heard this before. I know you've said it here before. It's very common. If you Google it, lots of people have said it before because it's observable. We just watch it demonstrated throughout human history. Right? What people believe determines how they behave. Now, obviously, you can find exceptions to this. So, so you can say, well, if I, I can learn something new and then behave differently in the moment with lots of work, absolutely yes. But when it really comes down to it, what you believe, not just here, but at a heart level, that's what we're talking about. What you believe in your heart is going to influence all of your behaviors. It really will. It'll drive you. Your priorities, what you strive for, what you live for, is all going to be determined by what you really believe in here. And, you know, that, from the moment we are born, this already, this already begins. And that's why in inner healing, one of the most common things that we find is the Lord brings you back to memories in your childhood. In therapy, what do they often bring you back to? If you've gone to therapy, I have. They bring you back to your childhood. That's what they want to know about. Why? Because a lot of this stuff already happens. This disordered or deceived thinking already begins in childhood. The enemy is relentless in his desire to steal, kill, and destroy. So when an, when an alcoholic drinks, for instance, this is what I mean by what you believe determines how you behave, why would they do that? Maybe you've lost your marriage already. Do you love alcohol more than you love your wife? Probably not. Did you love alcohol more than you loved your kids? No, I don't think so. Do you like it that you're stuck drinking all the time? No, I hate it. Why do you do it? I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I understand addiction. I've been there. You do it because there's a belief system inside that says alcohol is the only thing that's going to make me feel okay. And when you begin to feel alone or discouraged or you feel shame washing over or you feel inadequate, it is a pain that is so unbearable. You don't know how to, you don't know how to resolve it relationally or with God. And so you get stuck going to what you believe will make you feel better in the moment. In that moment you feel it's alcohol. That is what addiction is. It's a belief system. It's a faulty belief system. All addictions are faulty belief systems. And I know that's more than just, you know, grab a new truth, recite it in your head, and now you're free, right? That's as good about, uh, as saying to someone, just stop doing it. Right? We've talked about that before. It's, it's more than that. There's an, there, is, there is a process to renewing our minds, but when I believe that I am worthless, I hold back in relationships and life because I feel I have nothing to offer the world. When I believe that I'm better than everyone else, I act superior and I put myself ahead of everyone else that's around me. Because I think I'm God's gift to the world. These are belief systems that impact behavior. When I believe that money buys happiness, I'll sacrifice my relationships with family and kids and God to build an empire of money because money will make me happy. It'll give me the thing that I want to feel alive. That's a belief system. If I believe that pornography will allow me to feel connected, you're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but if I believe it is, then every time I feel alone, I'm going to look to view a pornography. No matter how many times I'm told it's wrong. These are heart beliefs, not cognitive. You can see there's a difference. That's why it's so important that we don't just learn about God in here, that we actually do the learning to know God as well. Amen? You need both, because then it moves from the head into the heart. When I believe God is real and good, I, align, I will align my life to his values and seek to please him. If I truly believe that Jesus is Lord, I'll happily give him my yes and follow him to the best of my ability. Because he's Lord. That means he's ahead of me. So then it's a joy to lay down for him. If I believe the only thing in life that matters is me being happy... I'll pursue my happiness above all things. And I'll find it almost impossible to receive comfort from God in the middle of a storm unless he first removes me from it. Does that make sense? 
because all he does is want me to be happy. And if he wants me to be happy, if that's the purpose of this life, then I cannot be happy, I cannot be okay in the middle of a storm. Because storms are uncomfortable. It's a belief system. If I believe that God is good, that he is not good and he'll ask me to do things that I, I, I can't do, I'll be paralyzed in my walk with him. There's many more I could have used here just for the sake of time. Like there are so many that I've encountered in doing ministry with people. And yeah, okay, I make it sound like it's all about doing ministry with you guys. There are so many that I've encountered in just bringing my own heart to Jesus myself. I was sharing with some staff the other day that I probably do, maybe I'll share it with all staff, but I probably do six to 12 inner healing sessions on myself every year. And that's on top of the hundreds I did in the first few years every year. I keep doing it. Why? Because I keep finding disordered beliefs, disordered beliefs in my own heart and desires. And they're always linked to stuff like this. So I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. That's what, that's what Romans says. Uh, now, you might think with that whole list that I just gave, now I didn't put it on the screen, sorry, but with the, risk, the list I just read, this isn't totally fair because you actually identify with some of the beliefs that I put on there. Some of those you're like, ooh, that hits too close to home. But then you say that's not fair because you never chose to believe that. You never chose to believe it, but somehow you're stuck there believing it. So how do you change beliefs that you didn't choose to believe in the first place? Now you've got to unchoose, then you've got to choose right ones. I know it's difficult. Dr. Abigail Brenner writes this, your beliefs, uh, I think I have this on there. Yeah, I do. Your beliefs create and dictate what your attitudes are. Your attitudes create and dictate how you respond. In other words, they dictate your feelings, and your feelings largely determine how you behave. So many of our belief systems are adopted in the early stages of life. That's why you don't remember choosing them. You didn't necessarily choose them. You learned them through experience. You learned them. So you were susceptible. And uh, this is what she has to say to that. Research has demonstrated that most emotional conditioning and habitual behaviors were set in place, in fact, programmed very early in life by parents, peers, teachers, and the like. Basic core beliefs, behaviors, and attitudes held by these significant others are often simply accepted as fact and become truth. Children do not develop the capacity for critical conscious scrutiny until much later in life. Thanks be to God, though, we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the power of the Holy Spirit at any stage in our life. Amen? That's the power of his word. But, you know, <laughs> I was reading that last uh, quote yesterday, and I couldn't help but think about taking advantage of my own kids when they were younger <laughs> and some of the things, you know, tricking them, which you may, they may call deceiving. It wasn't deceiving. It was tricking. But uh, I used to tell them that I was in the war. This is my public confession to my kids that are watching Caitlin, I was never in the war. <laughs> yeah, I know. You didn't know that. There was a war, Salamander McGrath. It was top secret. and they, Some of them even checked with their teachers. Teachers didn't know about it, which I said, well, of course they don't know, but it was top secret. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> As they've gotten older, it's just absurd. They would never believe anything like that or anything that sounds crazy. They wouldn't. But when they're young, they're open to that, and they're not totally sure. You're trustworthy. It sounds right. Why would you lead me astray? The enemy, the enemy knows this too. He knows our vulnerabilities, and that's why he preys on kids when they're young too. That's why evil governments have done that for a long time too. They know if you can indoctrinate kids, then you get the next generation. They don't even care about the older ones. The laws will catch up. Give us 10 or 20 years. They'll catch up. You just grab the kids, because then by the time they're the ones making the laws... <laughs> They already are entrenched in a, in a different way of thinking. The enemy knows this. He's inspired governments to do this. And the church should also know this. That's why we're told to what? Instruct our kids when they're young. <laughs> we're supposed to teach them truth so they can combat it when they're older. That's parents' job. It's my job. It's the church's job. It's our job. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is acceptable or, or good, holy, and acceptable. Okay, with that, that sounds a lot like Hebrews 5, 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. By the way, do you know... Oh, I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to anyways. <laughs> because... I, <laughs> Trained. Do you know that word trained there? Do you want to know what word that is? <laughs> okay, maybe some of you are going to find this funny and some of you won't. 
um, it's gymnasio. That's the Greek word. Do you, know you know what it actually literally translates as? To exercise naked. <laughs> Sorry. The middle school boy in me that's never matured died laughing yesterday. I just couldn't, I could not hold myself together when I read that. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Anyways, I love the word of God like that. Clearly the Lord has a sense of humor. So now you'll never read that verse again. But we are supposed to train ourselves with our clothes on in here, okay? But we're supposed to train ourselves to practice to distinguish good from evil, truth from lie. There's practice that's involved. There's training. Now discernment is a, it's almost like a lost art. Right? We think that if, if we're supposed to discern something, we'll just know it. But here, Scripture seems to say that there's an action that we need to do. Romans and Hebrews both agree. Corinthians talks about it as well, but we actually have to do something in order to learn. Right? Um, for the parents that are out there with younger kids, if you haven't read Mama Bear Apologetics, they talk in there and give a really good example of chew and spit. Teach your kids to chew and spit. And in there, I think she uses a steak analogy, right? You chew steak and you get all the juices and the flavor, but if there's gristle, you spit it out discreetly. Not in front of everyone where it's gross. But anyways, chew and spit. And there she talks about how to train your kids to chew and spit. To, to discern what is good and evil in the world. So that they're not easily deceived. And so I would highly recommend that book. If you're a parent, it's a great book. Obviously not to replace your Bible reading. This is the best one on truth that you should be reading and spend a lot of time in prayer. But then to supplement that, it's a great book on top of that. I would encourage you to read it. But more on this later. Anyways, we need to practice distinguishing good from evil or truth from lies. Now, the reason why we're so open to uh, deception in the early stages of life is because we're actually asking a lot of questions that we don't even realize we're asking. Weird, right? They're subconscious. So you never think them, but your brain is trying to figure out who it is and what is it like me to do and how do I fit into the world and so on and so forth. And so it has lots of questions that it's seeking to answer in the eyes of parents and then in the world around and then in peers and so on. So that's why we're going to look now at five key areas the devil tries to deceive us. And so this is very important. Um, First one here. You're going to see it all on there. Now, I did change some of the words. A lot of these you'll find in uh, attachment theory, but I did, I did change some of the uh, words because of uh, Chris, Pastor Chris Carr. Uh, he had shared with me a book, so I aligned some of my wording with their words because it says the same thing. Anyways, the categories. Identity, belonging, origin or history, purpose, and God. Now, attachment theory, by the way, would not agree on the God part. I added that in because I actually don't think you can answer the other four without knowing God. I think he's the key because he created us. You can't actually understand your origin. You can't understand your purpose. You cannot understand where you fit, where you belong, and you cannot understand who you are apart from Christ. You can't. He made you. He's the only one that can tell you about it. That all said, identity. Who am I? Who am I? This is a question that, that determines so much of who you are today, how you answered this when you were younger, particularly in the first five to six years of life. But it still continues to influence you. We're all kind of looking for that, the answer to that question. Who am I? And there is lots in the culture to tell you about who you are. Lots. There's lots of I am statements that are out there. And there's lots of stuff being said to people today. Like, and I don't have time to get into all of them right now because I do want to finish this message and we'll get on to more of it next week. But like, just follow your heart. You ever heard that one? You're good enough just the way you are. Those sound really good, don't they? And remember, the best deceptions all have elements of truth, like you're good enough just the way you are. That kind of sounds like Jesus' invitation to come just as you are. But good enough just as you are? You do know that just as you are, your destination was hell. You belong in hell. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're broken. Do you actually think you're good just the way you are? Or do you think you need saving? Something to chew on. We don't have time to get into all of that. Same with follow your heart. You know, Scripture says your heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. I don't know. Am I the only one in here who's had their heart lead them into all sorts of bad things? I have. I mean, in the moment, my heart sometimes feels things that are awful. That's why I don't let anyone read my journal. <laughs> because I put it all in there. You, know, <laughs> you better not read my journal. If you ever find it, my name's in the front. Don't read it. But anyways, that's my private communion with God. And the reason why I don't want anyone reading it is because there's all sorts of things that I'm working out with him because my heart goes this way and it goes that way and it goes up and then it goes down. 
Anyhow, I thought we were supposed to follow the Spirit. All right, I digress. But you can see why, just giving some examples, belonging, where I belong, who, who am I, and how do I relate to the community around me? Where do I fit? Who are my people? Who are my family? Who are my friends? Teens spend like, uh, like almost a decade trying to figure that out. Like really, really intentionally. And then adults, I think we still do the same thing, trying to figure it out. There's lots of people that feel alone. They don't know where they fit, where I belong. That matters. Your origin, your history, that matters. How did I come to be? Because how I came to be, actually, we know influences where we're going. You need to know your past, so belonging's kind of present. Origin history is my past. They even say people with strong mental health or secure attachment, using that kind of terminology, but they would say that they have an understanding of how their past, both good and bad, the good things and the bad things, how they have, that has influenced them into becoming the people they are today. That's strong mental health, being able to understand that. All right. Uh, God. Who is God? Ecclesiastes. Look what, look what Ecclesiastes says about God. That's why I think it should be on there. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He put eternity into man's heart so that man cannot find out what God has done for them from the beginning to the end. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature is clearly perceived. Clearly perceived. And besides, look at how much time the world spends to answering the question about God. Whether you believe in him or whether you don't believe in him or which God, all that kind of stuff, the world spends so much time in there, that's why I added it as a fifth because that's a huge thing. What, what we, how we answer the question of who is God and how do I relate to him has incredibly great bearing on the rest of every other answer that we're going to have. So these answers to these questions form the foundation of who we are and how we interact with the world. In other words, the types of people we become. The devil knows this and uses it to his advantage. That's what he does, okay? For example, nope, I'm not there yet. I'm going back. There we go. For example, let's talk about Bobby. Bobby is a young boy that I made up. <laughs> so if you relate to Bobby, it was an accident. I just didn't mean for it to relate to you, okay? Bobby's a young boy who grew up, who grew up in a home where his parents loved him, but he was, for the most part, ignored. Not because he did anything bad, just because his parents were busy. Dad worked a full-time job, often worked overtime, was busy. Mom also worked, which isn't bad, but mom was working. When she came home, she was absolutely exhausted. And both mom and dad spent a lot of time on their phones. Okay, so we'll just say they spent a lot of time on their phones. It wasn't a home that, with a lot of, like, you know, big fights or anything like that. They were just busy. They just had stuff up. Make sense? You, you following? Bobby was raised up in here. So Bobby learned, like, how do you interpret this as a little young Bobby? Bobby had all sorts of things that he was excited about. Bobby was excited about life, period. About the dumbest things, really. Bobby was excited about worms. Bobby was excited about dirt. Bobby was excited about pictures that he drew that looked like scribbles. So Bobby would come and want to share all of his life with his parents because they're everything to him. These are my people. These are my people. Like, if anyone's going to accept me, these are the ones I want approval from. These are the ones who are going to help me know who I am. So I'm bringing all my little stuff to my parents. But his parents were too busy to see Bobby and what Bobby brought to them because in their eyes, the things that he was bringing wasn't, weren't very significant. So Bobby began to feel rejection and loneliness. But he didn't know who to talk to because he couldn't share these things with his parents because he was afraid of being rejected further. So he internalized his feelings and began to believe deep down inside that he had no value. Something was inherently wrong with him, but he didn't know what it is, and no one was going to tell him. When he got into school, Bobby learned that when he did something right, people praised him. When he would share something that he did right in school, he would get good grades. His parents seemed to take notice of good grades. Oh, so Bobby learned a new thing about who he was and about his value. That my value is based on what I can do. So then Bobby began to just invest himself, like full out invest himself into being good academically, at sports, anything that he tried to do, he would just pour himself into it and try to be the best. The problem is 
though he was able to succeed in some things and feel good for moments, no one can be the best at everything. So ultimately, his sense of self-worth just continued to plummet and spiral because he was constantly faced with the reality that he's not good enough, that he had no value in and of himself. Because he wasn't good enough to be the best at everything. There was always someone better. Eventually, Bobby learned that he, he, he found and discovered pornography because he felt so alone, he felt so worthless. He discovered, looking at viewing pornography, a friend had shown it to him at school. And Bobby, for the first time in a while, just felt a spark of something. It was like he felt life, even though it was totally covered in shame. He knew it was wrong, but he couldn't stop. So now he started viewing it on his own because, like, it was like the first thing that he could do that he didn't, he knew it was bad, and no one knew, he was just going to hide it from everyone, but it was the first thing he could do that actually made him feel a spark of something. I feel alive. But at the same time, Bobby knew that what he was doing was wrong. He knew it was sin, and he knew it wasn't good. He was ashamed of what he was doing. So again, it began to compound these feelings of low self-worth and low self-esteem. Eventually, Bobby joined a church in a youth group, and here he discovered God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen? Bobby found Jesus. He learned all about how Jesus loves you just the way you are. But somehow, those words didn't seem to penetrate into the heart. He'd read them, and he'd think, maybe that's true for you, but you don't understand how broken and bad I am. I know that God could maybe love me. That makes sense. Okay. But only when I'm doing good. So the cycle began to repeat with God that had already started with his parents. So Bobby began to work really, really hard. Volunteer, get involved, do more, do more. And as long as he could have stretches, like he could get like a few days or a few stretches of, of doing it right. Like you're, you're doing your devotions, you're doing your, your checklist, you're, you're serving. As long as he got that right, he could feel moments of feeling like God loves him. But the second he would drop the ball, the second he would stop working, all of that would fall to ashes and he would feel this low self-esteem self just building and rising in this crushing weight. Bobby felt exhausted. Now, Bobby's a fictional character. But I think a lot of you just resonated with a lot of Bobby's story. Bobby was deceived. You think it's true that Bobby's parents didn't love him? I think they loved him. They provided for him. They didn't even know what he was going through. You can see Bobby was deceived in all these areas. Right? Bobby had, oh, now I gotta go forward. Did I even have it on here? No, I didn't. Sorry. Anyways, I'll just read it up here. Bobby believed that he was only as good as his ability to perform. His feelings don't matter, which helped him understand that he didn't matter. That's an isolating feeling. That I don't matter. And you might say, yeah, but we're not worthy. I know we're not, but we're worth it. See, truth? Truth is always a complete statement. The enemy likes to use half-truths. You're not worthy. Now you're just covered in shame. But Jesus says, but you're worth it. So worth it, I laid down my life for you. I'd give anything for you. That's how valuable you are. You weren't worthy based on your works. But he said, I made you in my image. You are intrinsically valuable, every part of you. And I will move heaven and earth to redeem you so that you can be with me for an eternity. That's truth. That's truth. Bobby didn't know truth. Thought he didn't matter. Belonging. Bobby thought the only way that he could belong anywhere is if, if he was the best at everything. So he could never stop doing. He was exhausted all the time, just burning out. He's a burnt-out Bobby. Purpose. You have to work to gain acceptance. You can't enjoy rest or enjoy the things that you like. Life is just about work and what you can do. Origin. There wasn't much about origin in there, but certainly on the thing about God, God only loves me when I do the right things. Whoa. Can you see how this is going to affect his Christianity? Will Bobby fall into performance-based Christianity? You know what the problem with that is? You're not saved by works. You're saved by faith. Now, you can take that one also to an extreme and say, ah, so works don't matter. Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah, they do. 
but you're not saved by them. But the fruit of salvation is your works begin to change because he begins to work inside. You become a new creation. So there's a problem if the works don't change. There is. But the works don't save you. John 8, 32 says this, 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Bobby wasn't free to live the truth. Bobby's belief system had him completely stuck, focused inwardly his entire life. Maybe Bobby has, we'll say Bobby had a happy ending later, okay? Bobby really grew in his relationship with Jesus and got set free later. So for anyone who's like discouraged by Bobby's story, he, he lived free in the end, okay? Free. But before that happened, <laughs> Bobby struggled in his relationship with his wife. Bobby struggled with his relationship with his kids because he didn't know how to give what he had never received. And in his mind, people were only as good as the things that they could do, so Bobby drove his kids hard, really hard. And he made sure that approval was always tied to what they could accomplish. And if they didn't accomplish it to his standards, he made sure that they knew it. I'd say, Bobby sounds wicked now. Bobby was just behaving as Bobby believed was right. I don't even know if Bobby was aware of what was going on. His brokenness left him constantly looking inside himself for an answer. But the answers aren't found in here. The answers have always been found in here. You've got to look outside for those. Bobby may function high, at a high level at work. He may even function at a high level in the church. But Bobby remains stuck, unable to move forward, because Bobby doesn't know who he is in Christ. All right, Galatians 5, 1 and 13. For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set you free. <laughs> By the way, this is the danger of taking verses out of context. And then in verse 13, for freedom, for you recall the freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So it does define. See, I'm free to do whatever I want. Verse 1, no. Read always the whole passage. You are free to do what? Free to fulfill God's purposes on the earth. That's what freedom is. I am free to do God's will. I am free to know God unhindered. I am free to receive his love and to love others. That's freedom, isn't it? So, learning to determine, where am I in my time here? Oh yeah, we're rocking the time. Thought we were gonna run out of time. I'm taking coffee now, I can have a break. Mm. So good. They should pay me royalties. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, learning to discern truth from lies. There's lots we can talk about here. So how do you train yourself to, to, uh, to distinguish truth from lies? Because we've just said, all of us have lie-based thinking that's probably in you already right now. Not probably. I'll just say it. We all do. There is no one that has this all figured out. That's why we're all broken. We all need redeeming. We all need redemption. We all need saving. We do. So the sooner you just accept that, the, the better for you and the better for those around you. That's self-awareness. That's a whole other thing that we come to in another message. But how do we learn now to begin to distinguish truth and lies? And there's lots that we can talk about here, and we just don't have time to get in here. Um, but we will get into in the future uh, messages coming, coming out after today. But uh, basically, I'm looking at, you know, how do you look at what is the message, and what does it point you towards? There's a lot that you could learn there. Uh, I, you know, Pastor Ray kind of mentioned the, uh, kind of mentioned, he mentioned the prosperity gospel last week as a dangerous doctrine that can lead people astray. Certainly it can. Now, I also believe that there are people that believe in the prosperity gospel, I can think of a few right now, that I know also love Jesus. So it's not saying that, oh, no, you know someone who believes prosperity gospel, they're right away going to hell. Don't, don't interpret things like that. But that doesn't mean, though, that it doesn't matter and we shouldn't talk about it. We should talk about it. It does matter. And I remember uh, uh, years ago when I was dealing with this with one of the individuals that I was talking or meeting with, and uh, the Lord had just kind of, he had helped me see the danger of the gospel on both sides. And the danger was those who would believe in it, really, I mean, I've heard preachers say things like, people aren't going to want to follow Jesus unless you have a BMW, unless your life is good. And I was thinking as I listened to that, they're not wanting to follow Jesus, they're wanting all your stuff. That's not Jesus. Where does it point people towards? Money. 
Satisfaction on this earth. Health here and now. What does it rob you of? Lots. It can rob you of uh, 1 Corinthians. That's where I wanted to go, talking about suffering and comfort. How do you get comfort in the middle of a storm? Beliefs like that can rob you of your ability to actually get comfort in the time when you need it the most. Because you don't even think God will comfort you in it. He has to take you out of it. And if he doesn't, it's a reflection of how bad you are on the inside. You don't have enough faith. Anyways, the danger is, though, when you look at things that have false, like uh, uh, lies in them, is that we swing over to the other side now and say, God is not prosperous. God does not heal. God does not bless. God does not give finances. See the danger in that? Now you begin to judge people on the other side. So that's why we have to be careful with, with any kind of deception, right? And we'll talk about that more next week. But even as you respond to something, and I've seen people do it with belief too, right? We're saved by faith, not by works. So then anything works related at all is bad in legalism. Although that's not found in the Bible. In fact, the exact opposite is. We'll talk about that one more next week. So you got to be careful that you don't pendulum when you're dealing with this. That's why you have to learn to distinguish good from evil, truth over lies. So first thing that we need to do, you can go back to Pastor Ray's message from last week. That's great. And look at his list. But I'm going to expand on there and just go over a couple things. First one, know the truth yourself. Learn about God and learn to know God. That's from our discipleship target, which is also one of the renewal principles, the eight renewal principles. But that's why you have the both and statement on there. Learn about God, yes. Know about him. Know he is true. Absolutely yes. But then learn to know him as well. You have to know him for yourself. You know, we talked about all of those questions, and we'll look at them more next week. But those five main questions, did you know all of those questions? So they're core to your identity and your sense of self and the type of person you become. And all of those answers are actually found in here, every single one of them. That means parents, we can be fortifying. If we know those are important questions to answer, we can be fortifying our kids as they're growing up and making sure they have answers to all of those questions. Good answers. Truth answers. But we ourselves can find our answers in here as well. Scripture has all the answers that we need. It tells us who we are, tells us where we belong, tells us how we got here tells us why we're here and where we, what we should do, and it tells us who God is and how we can relate to him. Scripture does all of that. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay? So, remember though, the Pharisees searched the Scriptures and missed out. They thought in the Scriptures they had eternal life. That's the learn about God. Right? Learn about God, but learn to also know God. They only got to step one. It's good to learn about God but you must learn to know God and learn to know him for yourself. Second, obey the truth. You can't actually skip this one, and this one is so important. That's why that works one always gets me, because people, the, often the ones that champion that, champion that you can't tell anyone that they need to obey what they find in here. Well, now you're talking about another way to Jesus. No, we're not talking about that. You're only saved by faith. However, the fruits of faith is works. The Bible says it over and over and over again. You can't deny that without denying the Bible. Obeying the truth is critical. It is key for us. And that's why we submit to Jesus not only as Savior, yes, submit to him as Savior and functional Lord. He is Savior and he's functional Lord. This is also from the discipleship target, also from the eight renewal principles. John 7, 17 says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees when they were challenging what he was teaching. And you know what he retorted back? Because they knew the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. And yet he said, look how he links it together here. If your will is to do God's will, you will know whether the teaching he has is from God or whether he's speaking on his own authority. So Jesus challenged that they knew a lot of stuff up here, but they weren't living it out in here and with their hands and feet. They weren't obeying it. And if they had hearts that were set to obey God, to follow him no matter what, that they would already be able to tell truth from lies. Interesting that one of the protections from deception is actually just obeying the word. Obedience to the word sets a, a, a measure of protection around you and the ones close to you, and I think that's wonderful. Right? Really, that's what a true heart, and I think Pastor Ray talked about a true heart last week, uh, but we talk about things like humility, absolutely yes, open to correction, but obedience is huge on that. Seeking God's will above your own is huge. And then lastly here, I'm just giving three, and uh, then we're going to do the last song. <laughs> there he is. 
Live by the Spirit. Pray to God and hear from God. This live by the Spirit is critical, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture here. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 11. Uh, I just put a couple of the verses on there. Yet among the mature we, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So he decreed it before the ages for our glory now. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but as it is written. So as it is written, they had the scriptures, they had the scriptures, but they did not perceive what was already revealed in the scriptures. Why didn't they receive it? What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So we see one key there. These things God revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the, except the per Spirit of that person that dwells within him. So no one knows my thoughts except me. I'm the only one that knows what I'm thinking right now. And God and likewise, he says, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And in there you see that, that completion. You can have the Word and completely miss out. You need the Holy Spirit to understand the Word. And there's more to it than that. We need good teaching and we need community and fellowship. But the Holy Spirit is actually going to, it's a protection of deception. And that lines up with John 14, 26. And then I'll end on this. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. We're going to get more into what this looks like practically in the weeks to come. But for now, bow your heads, and uh, I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to worship together. Lord, right now, as we prepare our hearts to worship you and to declare you are good, we also recognize that if we have been quenching your spirit, through living for ourselves, through worldly living, whether it's ignorance or willful. Lord, if we have had unbelief or lies that we've been believing that have kept us from coming to you, sin. Lord, we just confess all these things to you. And we just declare, Lord, that we're helpless before you. You are our everything. And Lord, we want to lay down all of our strengths, all of our confidence, all of our brokenness, all of our lives. We just give it over to you. And Lord, we trust in your faithfulness. Lord, when we look at this, even when we talk about deception today, we realize we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, but you are. And so Lord, we rest in you. We put our trust in you, all of our trust, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Lord, we ask for your filling. Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you lead us and guide us in truth? And in those areas of brokenness, we ask that you would speak and illuminate and open up your word to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.